Welcome and thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. Today is part two in our series on the core values of First Pres. Last week we started with the first core value, the presence of God. This week, Senior Pastor Dan Chun continues with part two, Paul and the presence of God. We continue our series on the core values of our church, and there are five, as you may recall from last week, and the first letter of each forms a word, an acronym, which is PATHS. Uh, P for presence of God, A for authenticity, T for thoughtfulness, H for humility, and S for service. And now's your time to start memorizing it, pop quiz next week. And, uh, and that's how we want to live. That's how we evaluate all of our ministries, and that's how we hope we will see us as a, as a body of believers. Now, this is part two of the core value of presence. Our church desires that we will always experience the presence of God. We desire that the Christian walk is all about presence, not program, not production, or some intellectual belief or doctrine. No, the faith is about the presence of God in our hearts. And at this time, I want to bring up Chester Chin. I love Chester. I admire him in so many ways. He's my hero, truly. He is such a servant. Um, here at Koalau, you might see him driving the golf cart, picking up some of you from your cars. He volunteers to cut the grass. He cuts turkey on Thanksgiving Day to help feed four to 500 people. Uh, he washes clothes for the houseless as part of laundry love. He makes sure they get a shower. Um, he serves on the Alpha Course team. And then at the Vine, when I see him working there, I'm blown away. He helps cook dinner every week. Week. He has like sweet sour spare ribs sometimes. And uh, what's happening tonight? Anything? Chashu pork. Chashu pork. How Chinese. Fantastic. And, um, and he's always setting up and cleaning and taking things down. He's always emptying the garbage cans. Nothing uh, is out of his reach. He puts in new bags. And at the end of the night when the garbage bin at the vine is too full, he takes the garbage bags in his car to take home. That's like crazy. So he's not a consumer Christian like serve me. He's out to serve others. And he rolls up his sleeves. He's really a model for us all. But then the question is, why does he do this? And um, so last week I asked Chester, uh, what was it like before you were a Christian? And how did you become a Christian? And what was it like since you have found uh, Jesus? And after great pressure from me and twisting of your arm, um, he's now willing to share a story with us today. Now, most of our members are not public speakers, um, but they're willing to speak. And so I'm going to ask you to give a very warm welcome for Chester, who's from New York. Grew up in New York Chinatown, where my mom grew up, and uh, went to the same high school as uh, Leon Williams in Brooklyn, as well as Barbara Streisand, but she's older than you. <laughs> my mother had passed away when I was 13. I was very angry. I was lost and thought, I could do whatever I wanted, getting high with drinking alcohol, using pot, drugs, cocaine, speed, and heroin. I was full of guilt and shame, not knowing how to stop the pain from drugs and alcohol and an immoral life. Hitting bottom, prayers from family and friends led me to a Christian youth organization called Teen Challenge. 
a ministry that helps teenagers, adults with emotional issues. It was where I made a commitment to become a follower of Jesus. I learned to be a computer programmer and was blessed to work as a staff member for 10 years. But later, I backslid terribly in my faith. I got a job in upstate New York and purchased a condominium in Connecticut, but lost the condominium. I had returned to drugs and introduced to crack cocaine and returned to alcohol addiction. I was close to being arrested and nearly jailed a couple of times. By the grace of God, my brother came up to Connecticut as a spiritual prodigal son to reach out and help me move out. I bounced from my brother and sister-in-law's house to my sister and brother-in-law's house. One Friday evening while home as a functioning addict, I thought maybe I should go to a 12-step Christian meeting. My sister came down the foyer and confronted me, asking, where are you going? She didn't trust me or want to lose a brother to drugs. I kind of gave a safe answer that I was thinking of going to a meeting, and she said, I have to go with you because I don't know what else to do with you. That stopped me cold in my tracks. It seemed like time had stopped, like the Apostle Paul on the wayward journey to Damascus. It opened me up, and I realized it's not about me. I took a look at my sister and the family and others I was hurting. I realized that it was the love of Jesus for my sister to reach out to me that way. It brought a spiritual awakening. It began the process of recovery. And today I can say I turned things around due to Jesus. I have freedom from an active addiction and celebrating 30 years clean without a drink or a drug. <laughs> All praise to God by his mercy and grace from God. As the Bible says, though my sin be as scarlet, they are now white as snow. By the sacrificial and love of Jesus Christ, <clears throat> I am grateful. <clears throat> Excuse me. But like all of us, our challenges can continue. There is no perfect life. We continue to need prayer and Jesus. I found out recently I had cirrhosis of the liver and would be tested for cancer. <clears throat> I knew I needed prayer and hands laid on me during the prayer. Pastor Steve laid hands on me and, and prayed as I cried, thinking of my 21-year-old son. I thought I was too young to die, and God heard my prayers. I have a lot of gratitude. I can now report I am healed of cirrhosis and no cancer of the liver. <clears throat> I have been forgiven, no guilt, no shame, living in paradise, God is in control. I am a child of God, praise his holy name. I am blessed with a Christian son living in Kentucky that graduated the University of Michigan. He continues to give back as staff members at an abused woman's facility. God has blessed me so much. He rescued me. He forgave me. I am doing better than I deserve. I recalled the words of the writer in the book of the Bible called Psalms. In Psalms 40, in the 40th Psalms, the writer says this about God. 
I have not hidden your saving help within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. Amen. It's an honor to tell this great congregation of the love of God for all of us. God bless you all. Golly, what an amazing story. Thank you, Chester. I know that's not hard to address so many people at one time. And, you know, there are many people like Chester who have had a dramatic past and a significant change after they came to understand what it means to have a friendship with Jesus. But to take pressure off, off of some of us, um, it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, for me, I don't have the most interesting or dramatic faith journey. Uh, I was not raised in a Christian home. I, I didn't go to church. I didn't read the Bible. I wasn't into drugs or alcohol. Uh, when I was a teenager, my sister in college became a Christian, and she started to tell me about Jesus, and she sent me material about him to read. And, and um, colleagues of her uh, would visit our house, and we would put them up, and I would talk to them, and and listen to them, and they would talk about God, and uh, talk about the most pedestrian beginnings of faith, mine. Um, if you ever come to my office, you will see these two little figurines of a man sitting on a toilet. Uh, friends gave it to me as a joke because they knew my story of how I decided to follow Jesus. You see, I made the decision to become a Christian while sitting on the john. <laughs> I was 15 years of age, and um, that's where I made the decision. Uh, and so, you know, with that kind of toilet beginning, uh, many phrases had spiritual meaning to me, like, all things must pass. I thought, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> you know, take the lid off of your faith. Oh, I, I can relate. Take the ego off the throne of your life. Okay, I did that. So, um, but I also need to say that uh, I probably said the most um, ambiguous, faithless conversion prayer to God after quietly, pensively, thinking about all that my sister said and all the books I had read. Uh, funny, both for Chester and me, a sister walked in. Um, I said to Jesus, here's my prayer. If you are who you say you are, then come into my life. And that was it. It wasn't that dramatic. Um, but all that day, I felt a tremendous sense of peace that I never had before. And over the years, I felt more and more supernatural encounters with God and just more peace. And um, like Chester, in different ways, I'm also sold out to Jesus after that decision. And though our, our first steps in the journey of following Jesus may or may not be dramatic, it is just a beginning of something beautiful, something supernatural uh, that will benefit you and, and those you serve. And as we mature in the faith, we will find ourselves wanting to seek and experience God's presence. So I would like for us to listen to the reading today from the Bible. There will be a reference to a guy named Saul. Uh, that was his name before God changed him into the famous Apostle Paul. And when you hear the term the way, that's what they call the movement of the Christians back then. And so now, please stand if you're able. Helen Palmore. 
will read the Bible for us today that we will be studying. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 22. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking, their, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, and the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now, get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The man with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias, yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, he is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hand on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. And immediately, he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? They asked. And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priest? 
Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. So the story starts with a bang. Saul was a really bad dude. He was like a terrorist of the early church. He wanted to kill the followers of Jesus, and their death, their stoning, their arrest brought him great satisfaction. He was there at the very first recorded incident of martyrdom of a Christian, the stoning of the deacon Stephen. Saw, saw Stephen get stoned to death, which has to be one of the cruelest ways to die, and he wanted that to happen to more and more Christians. Saul was smart. He was a Pharisee. He was like a religious lawyer. He was connected. He knew the high priest, and professionally, he was at the top of his game. He put his trust in education, in his work, in his religious way of life. So let's stop right there. Some of the biggest hurdles to following Jesus is how we were raised, and for Saul, the hurdle was being a Jewish man back then. His culture did not believe in Jesus as the Messiah, the one they were waiting for. And some of our biggest barricades to following Jesus is our concept of religion. That for some, we think God is this mean, strict disciplinarian. And that if we live a life of rules and regulations and rituals, then we will be blessed. But that's legalism. That's not the way of Jesus. He offers a relationship and not a religion where you have to do things to prove your love and your worth to God. Jesus is actually against religion. There is nothing you can do to make him love you more, and he loves you a lot. Jesus already died on a cross for you and for me. But now back to the story. Saul got letters authorizing him to go to any synagogue to find Christians and arrest them, this kind of a religious warrant for your arrest, and he wanted to put Jesus following men and women in chains and bring them back to Jerusalem. So one day, he took off for the city of Damascus, not sure if he was riding or walking, and then it happened. He found himself in the supernatural presence of God. A light from heaven flashes down on, Paul, on Saul. It drenches him. It saturates him. He falls to the ground. And before this, he felt he had the skill to kill. But now a light took away his fight. And a voice booms out, zooms out, saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Louder than Dolby Sound, probably. Louder than THX or Bose. More better than Titan Lux at the Ward Consolidated Theaters. Booming, dynamic, higher than 120 decibels. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul asks, who are you, Lord? And then a voice replied, I am Jesus, the one who you are persecuting. Whoa, he must have thought. Wait, wait, wait. Jesus was like dead. He was a crucified, gone for some time, and now Jesus himself is speaking to Saul from heaven. No way. And then Jesus, the almighty God, gave a command to Saul. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the other men heard the voice, um, but they didn't see anyone. And so when Saul got up, he was blind, literally blind. 
but I dare say spiritually blind too. For those who don't know Jesus as God are in many ways blind, blind to his way, a better way, blind to see that the Christian faith is not a religion where humankind tries to reach up to God, but it's about God reaching down to us. It's about our God, Jesus, literally God, who wants to be our friend. His word, friend. That's not just a contemporary thing we put in there. He said thousands of years ago, friend. So it's blindness that thinks that violence is the solution to everything and that our pedigree, our education, our achievements will make us happy and joyful. And when we hurt our fellow humans or don't help society, Jesus says, why do you persecute me? Why do you persecute me, my creation, my people, my earth? And after that encounter with Jesus, Saul has to be led back by his companions, because he's blind, back to Damascus, and for three days he doesn't eat or drink. Now, like a good movie, you know, there's all this cross-cutting and double scenes going on, like a Charles Dickens novel, and so uh, this other supernatural event is happening in real time. A plain guy like you and me, a man named Ananias, has a vision. We can all have visions, you and me. And Ananias has a vision of God calling him, and he says, yes, Lord. And the Lord says, I'm going to give you some really specific instructions. Go to straight street to the house of a guy named Judas, not Iscariot, different one. And when you get there, ask for a man named Tars, a man from Tarsus named Saul. In fact, bless that guy. He's playing, praying to me right now. Now, this is like one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. And this is when Ananias must have trembled and said, like, what are you saying, Lord? Wait a cut and pick a minute. Did you say, no, you didn't really say that. Did you say, like, Saul, Saul of Tarsus, the terrorist? I'm supposed to go meet him, the one who wants to kill Christians? Surely you meant Tommy of Tarsus, right? Or Wally of Tarsus. You know, you think I'm dumb, Lord? I mean, I read the Damascus Star Advertiser. I know who this guy is. He kills people like me. You've got to be kidding. In fact, he's authorized. He has warrants to lead us all to arrest. And Jesus says, yeah. Yes, do that. It's I, Jesus. Go for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he will suffer for my sake too. So Ananias says, okay, do it. I'll do it. And um, he found Paul. And as of this custom, like for us, when we ordain or pray for someone, we lay hands on them. And, and I like Ananias' prayer. He starts off with these great words. He says, brother Saul, like brother meaning, hey, if the Lord says you're one of us, then you're my brother, so don't kill me. So like brother Saul, who Jesus appeared to on the road, um, sent me to re- for you to regain your sight and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then instantly, another supernatural event, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight and then boom, he gets baptized. And then later, filled with the Holy Spirit, Saul began preaching that G- about Jesus in synagogues and indeed, he is the Son of God, he's the Messiah, the one who's fully human, fully God and came to save us. Uh, I would love to see the people's faces in the synagogues like, oh, who's coming in? It's Saul. So sometimes, well, something happens when the presence of God comes upon us. And sometimes it can feel warm or tingly or a sense of peace. 
we can change for the better. More joy can come into our lives. We can know God more closely. For we find out that he's like reaching out to us all the time, but we don't know it. Saul shows us that we're never losers or sinners who are so evil that we can't change. You can't think of a more evil person at that time than Saul. Saul, the terrorist, the arrester, killer. What has happened to, to Paul later when his name changes? He becomes the chief church planter for the whole world in that area. And he becomes the main theologian of the New Testament of the Bible, writing more letters than anybody else. That's, that's like incredible. And it's incredible how God uses people, that nobody is too sinful or too evil not to be won back and redeemed by God. Moses, right, was a murderer, and God chooses him to take the people of Israel out of Egypt. David, who he loves, a man after his own heart, David's a triple loser. He's a liar, he's a murderer, and he's an adulterer. And yet, God called him, loved him, and David wrote 73 of the 150 Psalms of the Bible, love letters, poetry of love to God. Perfect? No. Loved, redeemed, changed, and used by God? Yes. Now, as we heard from his story earlier, Chester changed from a life of cocaine and other drugs, a life of alcoholism, a life of deception, a life of falling from faith, to a life Life saved by God through his sister who was that light that miraculously shone down on him that said, stop persecuting Jesus to a life that's grateful, so grateful to God and other people that he, like Saul, then devoted himself to a life for Jesus. Chester's heart for Jesus is about gratitude. I think some of the most Active people in our church have this, the greatest gratitude because they know about their sin. To see all of the blessings are from God, and we want to invite God into every part of our life. So in our passage today, we saw how Ananias got a supernatural vision from God. We saw how Saul got a vision from God, actually heard his voice. And they are both recipients of God's supernatural presence, they experience it, and later we see how they're instruments of God's continuing supernatural powers. So the mark of a follower of Jesus from the very beginning is that they have the presence of God and they have supernatural experiences. Now, our church is, is a church that believes in God's supernatural powers. Now, you might think, well, isn't that a duh? Don't most churches believe in God in that way? Actually, there are churches that believe in God, but don't believe that supernatural things are for today. That, that kind of died off with Jesus and the apostles. And when they pray for the sick, they are not expectant that will, people will get well right then. But maybe they'll just be comforted by the nice words they're saying in the prayer. When we prayed for Chester, for his uh, liver and for the cancer, some people don't expect the healing to come, but that was a miraculous healing. So does our church believe people can get healed by God through our prayers and it can happen immediately? We do. And we have shown and trained people how to pray for healing. And some people don't believe in the supernatural gifts of tongues, that um, supernatural prayer language that some people can get, and we believe in that also. 
And some people don't believe that God could give people a prophetic or supernatural word in their minds to share with others to strengthen, encourage, or comfort someone right now. We believe in that too. And when we talk about the presence of God being one of our core values, it includes all of the spiritual gifts and the belief that miracles are also for today. And you can pray and you might see it happen right then. I think of John Wimber. John Wimber was a professional musician who played in Las Vegas for five years with many famous musicians like the Righteous Brothers and others. And he said he was a beer-guzzling, drug-abusing pop musician who converted at the age of 29 while chain-smoking his way through a Quaker-led Bible study. But then he became a voracious Bible reader and reading about all these supernatural miracles in the Bible. And and after going from one boring church service to another, he asked a lay leader, hey, when do we get to do the stuff? You know, the stuff here in the Bible. Stuff like Jesus healing the sick, raising the dead, healing the blind, stuff like that. When do we get to do the stuff? But that person told him, oh, Christians don't do that anymore. Miraculous healings and prophecy was only for the early church. They only, today, we only do what is normally done in weekly religious services. And John replied, you mean I gave up drugs for that? <laughs> it was then he began to pray that he could do this stuff. And I love his story because he prayed for like a year constantly for healing, and no one got healed. And then one day, a woman got healed after his prayer, and then it just started growing. It was doing more and more, and, and suddenly he got words of encouragement for people or comfort for people. And he started this movement called the Vineyard Movement, and there are many vineyard churches that came out of that movement doing the stuff. And our church, you should know, likes to do the stuff. We will train you, I will train you, so we can all do the stuff. Because if you read the Gospels, the stuff happens all the time. And one of John's favorite phrases was, everyone gets to play. It means that all the people of the church get to participate in doing the stuff, not just the pastors or the elders or the deacons or the prayer team. Part of our core value was the presence of God. We all get to do the stuff. We all get to play. So we see that in Ananias and Saul's life. They get visions. They heard from God. And um, Saul's renamed Paul. He heals people miraculously. Doors and prisons open so he, he can escape. It's like Mike Pilavachi, who's coming up in two weeks, would say, it's everyday supernatural. It's natural to see the supernatural. And we can live a life of naturally supernatural. Second thing about Ananias and Saul is that they are both like the Mandalorian. I've been waiting to use this for a metaphor. (laughs) Now, who hasn't seen the Mandalorian and wants to, so I can't be a spoiler and say too much? I feel sorry for you five. (laughs) For the illiterate and uneducated who don't watch or can't afford the Disney Plus channel, the Mandalorian is a bounty hunter who searches for bad guys. 
But as the series progresses, the Mandalorian changes from this tough guy who, see, who seeks bad guys, but he starts giving the bad guys a chance. He then rescues people and even warms up to a little baby who um, looks green and kind of like, in my opinion, a baby Yoda. Now, Saul was a bounty hunter who wanted to capture and kill Christians, but then Jesus comes upon him and changes, he changes to find lost sinners and offers them grace and mercy. And he wants, them, he wants to lead them to Christ and make them wise and supernaturally powerful like a Yoda. So Ananias, in being willing to see and save and pray for Saul, found the worst bounty killer and prayed for him to change. Can you believe that? God found the worst Mandalorian. And you see, the goal of the church is not just to put on programs, but to have the presence of God in all that we do. So every program we have, we're going to poke it. Like, is this about the presence of God? Is this about supernatural transformation or what? And our ministry is to help people be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we can become so filled with the Spirit that we want to read about Jesus and pray to him and sing to him. Sing to him. The Christian life is not about programs that we're going to fill our social and study calendar with just Bible studies and women's programs and men's programs and young adult programs and youth programs, that would be ludicrous. So imagine if, if we would take some of the songs we just sung today or, or last week and we, we change the words presence to programs. Like last week we sang, uh, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Let us become more aware of your presence. And we change that to, let us become more aware of your programs. Or we just sang, I stand amazed. You know, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. Would we sing, I stand amazed in the programs of Jesus the Nazarene. It doesn't make sense. Be thou my vision. When we sang, waking or sleeping, thy presence, my light. If we sang, waking or sleeping, thy programs, my light. It's the presence we want. And Jesus wants to be in us and around us and be central to our lives. And sometimes we shut him out. And perhaps with all the same things that shut him out of Saul's life, our profession, our pride, um, our hate, our anger, our refusal to re, uh, forgive, or we live by rules and regulations and rituals and not freedom. So in the last book of the Bible, Revelation, no S, in the third chapter, Jesus says this, as if he's talking to us today, and I'm going to come in and land on this. It was one of the first verses I memorized after my toilet conversion experience. It was Revelation 3.20. Look, I stand at the door and knock, says Jesus. If you hear my voice, open the door. I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Wow. Now notice Jesus is on the outside just like he was on the outside of Paul's life. But he wants to come into your life, and he's knocking. And he's saying, hey, it's me. Can you open it up from the inside? He wants to fellowship with us, not to teach us, rebuke us, give us orders. He wants to come in and eat with us, saying, hey, I brought Spam Musabi. Let me in. 
and want to share a meal. And for some time, maybe our religion or our rules have blocked Jesus out. And we have like not only door locked, we've like triple bolt locked it with a chain. And maybe one bolt lock is that our pride from our success. And we don't need Jesus. I'm smart. Um, maybe another bolt lock in the door is our lies from the past. For some, I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough. I'll never mount to anything. Boom, 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 more bolts. Or we heard a coach or teacher or parent say that. Or maybe a chain on the door is an illness or a traumatic experience that doesn't make us trust Jesus or really anyone. But Jesus is saying to you right now, I love you and I want you to open up the door and let me in. And I want a fellowship with you. And like Saul, I can give you a joy and a presence of the supernatural. And you'll be able to love others and pray and see people healed. And whatever sin you may have committed, even as great as what Paul did or Saul did, it will be forgiven. So, some of you here today, maybe you just came to church for the first time, maybe you've been here for a while, Maybe some of you said, you know, Dan sometimes offers an invitation. If he does one today, maybe I'm going to say yes. Or maybe for some of you, it's just the right time. So let me pray for you all and see what God has in mind. Please join me in prayer. Lord, this is a time for great courage. This is a time to take a self-inventory of where we're at. This is a time to come clean before you, Lord. This is a time to push out religion and look at a relationship that you want. So, Lord, if there's anyone here saying, you know what, this is it. I've been kind of delaying being all in for some time, and I want to commit my life to Christ. Even if my prayer is, if you are who you say you are, then come on in. I want to be a friend with you and have you be my friend. If anyone wants to say that prayer right now, that Lord, come into my life. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Sorry for what I did. But thank you. Please come in. Just raise your hand right now. Everyone's up. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Anyway, just raise it up in the privacy. And as your pastor and friend, I will confirm that before the Lord. Just raise it a little higher so I can see. Okay. Thank you. You can lower your hands. And for others who say, yeah, I have been a Christian for a while, but I just want to I just feel the Spirit talking to me and I just want to recommit my life. It just... And sorry, Lord, I've, I've not been all in. If you just would raise your hand right now and the Lord might see that and know your heart and the angels will rejoice and be glad over that. Fantastic. Lower your hands now. Lord, you see hands and hearts. It's just amazing. And may this be a whole new chapter in their lives where they experience a friendship and your supernatural presence. In Christ's name, amen. And as we sing this last song, 
for those of you who raise your hands, I would love to meet with you right after the service, right over here. I have a little booklet for you too. And I would just want to pray for you and seal the decision you made. And just before the final blessing, again, for those of you who just want prayer for anything, physical, spiritual, emotional, the prayer team is in front of the cross, in front of the choir risers, and I would like to meet those of you who may have made some new commitments. I really want to pray for you and seal that, and I'll be standing around here. Now, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and its countenance be upon you. And may you know deep in your heart the wonderful love and protection of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. God bless you all. Whether it's a quiet moment alone like Pastor Dan's or a dramatic event like Saul on the road to Damascus, Jesus desires to be with you. If you'd like to hear this sermon again, you can listen to and download this and other sermons from the First Pres website, fpchawaii.org. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Join us at one of our worship services on campus at 45550 Ole Road, Kaneohe, Hawaii, 96744. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.11. Follow First Prez on Twitter and Facebook. Download the new First Prez app. Watch First Prez sermon videos on our website and on Facebook. If you need more, you can call us at 808-532-1111. For Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Prez, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you and thanks for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2020 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu at Ko'olau.